Section ten of Phaedrus by Plato, translated by Benjamin Jowett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Section ten. Suppose that you read me the first words of Lucius's speech. Hmm. You know how matters stand with me and how as i conceive they might be arranged for our common interest and i maintain that i ought not to fail in my suit because i am not your lover for lovers repent enough now shall i point out the rhetorical error of those words yes every one is aware that about some things we are agreed whereas about other things we differ i think that i understand you but will you explain yourself when any one speaks of iron and silver is not the same thing present in the minds of all certainly but when any one speaks of justice and goodness we part company and are at odds with one another and with ourselves precisely then in some things we agree but not in others that is true in which are we more likely to be deceived and in which has rhetoric the greater power clearly in the uncertain class then the rhetorician ought to make a regular division and acquire a distinct notion of both classes as well of that in which the many err as of that in which they do not err he who made such a distinction would have an excellent principle yes and in the next place he must have a keen eye for the observation of particulars in speaking and must not make a mistake about the class to which they are to be referred certainly now to which class does love belong to the debatable or to the undisputed class to the debatable clearly for if not do you think that love would have allowed you to say as you did that he is an evil both to the lover and the beloved and also the greatest possible good capital but will you tell me whether i defined love at the beginning of my speech for having been in an ecstasy i cannot well remember <laughs> yes indeed that you did and no mistake then i perceive that the nymphs of achelous and pan the son of hermes who inspired me were far better rhetoricians than lysias the son of cephalus alas how inferior to them he is but perhaps i am mistaken and lysias at the commencement of his lover's speech did insist on our supposing love to be something or other which he fancied him to be 
and according to this model he fashioned and framed the remainder of his discourse suppose we read his beginning over again if you please but you will not find what you want read that i may have his exact words you know how matters stand with me and how as i conceive they might be arranged for our common interest and i maintain i ought not to fail in my suit because i am not your lover for lovers repent of the kindnesses which they have shown when their love is over here he appears to have done just the reverse of what he ought for he has begun at the end and is swimming on his back through the flood to the place of starting his address to the fair youth begins where the lover would have ended am i not right sweet phaedrus yes indeed socrates he does begin at the end then as to the other topics are they not thrown down anyhow is there any principle in them why should the next topic follow next in order or any other topic i cannot help fancying in my ignorance that he wrote off boldly just what came into his head but i dare say that you would recognise a rhetorical necessity in the succession of the several parts of the composition <laughs> you have too good an opinion of me if you think that i have any such insight into his principles of composition at any rate you will allow that every discourse ought to be a living creature having a body of its own and a head and feet there should be a middle beginning and end adapted to one another and to the whole certainly can this be said of the discourse of lucius see whether you can find any more connection in his words than in the epitaph which is said by some to have been inscribed on the grave of midas the phrygian what is there remarkable in the epitaph it is as follows i am a maiden of bronze and lie on the tomb of midas so long as water flows and tall trees grow so long here on this spot by his sad tomb abiding i shall declare to passers-by that midas sleeps below now in this rhyme whether a line comes first or comes last as you will perceive makes no difference you are making fun of that oration of ours well i will say no more about your friend's speech lest i should give offence to you although i think that it might furnish many other examples of what a man ought rather to avoid but i will proceed to the other speech which as i think is also suggestive to students of rhetoric in what way 
the two speeches as you may remember were unlike the one argued that the lover and the other that the non-lover ought to be accepted and right manfully you should rather say madly and madness was the argument of them for as i said love is a madness yes and of madness there were two kinds one produced by human infirmity the other was a divine release of the soul from the yoke of custom and convention true the divine madness was subdivided into four kinds prophetic initiatory poetic erotic having four gods presiding over them the first was the inspiration of apollo the second that of dionysus the third that of the muses the fourth that of aphrodite and eros in the description of the last kind of madness which was also said to be the best we spoke of the affection of love in a figure into which we introduced a tolerably credible and possibly true though partly erring myth which was also a hymn in honour of love who is your lord and also mine phaedrus and the guardian of fair children and to him we sung the hymn in measured and solemn strain i know that i had great pleasure in listening to you let us take this instance and note how the transition was made from blame to praise what do you mean i mean to say that the composition was mostly playful yet in these chance fancies of the hour were involved two principles of which we should be too glad to have a clearer description if art could give us one what are they first the comprehension of scattered particulars in one idea as in our definition of love which whether true or false certainly gave clearness and consistency to the discourse the speaker should define his several notions and so make his meaning clear what is the other principle socrates the second principle is that of division into species according to the natural formation where the joint is not breaking any part as a bad carver might just as our two discourses alike assumed first of all a single form of unreason and then as the body which from being one becomes double and may be divided into a left side and right side each having parts right and left of the same name after this manner the speaker proceeded to divide the parts of the left side 
and did not desist until he found in them an evil or left-handed love which he justly reviled and the other discourse leading us to the madness which lay on the right side found another love also having the same name but divine which the speaker held before us and applauded and affirmed to be the author of the greatest benefits most true i am myself a great lover of these processes of division and generalization they help me to speak and to think and if i find any man who is able to see a one and many in nature him i follow and walk in his footsteps as if he were a god and those who have this art i have hitherto been in the habit of calling dialecticians but god knows whether the name is right or not and i should like to know what name you would give to your or to lucius's disciples and whether this may not be that famous art of rhetoric which thrasymachus and others teach and practice skilful speakers they are and impart their skill to any who is willing to make kings of them and to bring gifts to them yes they are royal men but their art is not the same with the art of those whom you call and rightly in my opinion dialecticians still we are in the dark about rhetoric what do you mean the remains of it if there be anything remaining which can be brought under the rules of art must be a fine thing and at any rate is not to be despised by you and me but how much is left there is a great deal surely to be found in books of rhetoric <clears throat> yes thank you for reminding me there is the exordium showing how the speech should begin if i remember rightly that is what you mean the niceties of the art yes then follows the statement of facts and upon that witnesses thirdly proofs fourthly probabilities are to come the great byzantian word-maker also speaks if i am not mistaken of confirmation and further confirmation you mean the excellent theodorus yes and he tells how refutation or further refutation is to be managed whether in accusation or defence i ought also to mention the illustrious parian evenus who first invented insinuations and indirect praises and also indirect censures which according to some he put into verse to help the memory but shall i to dumb forgetfulness consign tisias and gorgias 
who are not ignorant that probability is superior to truth and who by force of argument make the little appear great and the great little disguise the new in old fashions and the old in new fashions and have discovered forms for everything either short or going on to infinity <laughs> i remember prodicus laughing when i told him of this he said that he had himself discovered the true rule of art which was to be neither long nor short but of a convenient length <laughs> well done prodicus then there is hippias the elean stranger who probably agrees with him yes and there is also polus who has treasuries of diplasiology and gnomology and iconology and who teaches in them the names of which lycumnius made him a present they were to give a polish had not protagoras something of the same sort yes rules of correct diction and many other fine precepts for the sorrows of a poor old man or any other pathetic case no one is better than the chalcedonian giant he can put a whole company of people into a passion and out of one again by his mighty magic and is first-rate at inventing or disposing of any sort of calumny on any grounds or none all of them agree in asserting that a speech should end in a recapitulation though they do not all agree to use the same word you mean that there should be a summing up of the arguments in order to remind the hearers of them <laughs> i have now said all that i have to say of the art of rhetoric have you anything to add not much nothing very important end of section ten recording by martin geeson in Hazelmere, Surrey.